Hi, everyone. We're really excited for you to hear today's episode with Scarlett Johansson. Before we get into the conversation, you might hear a little background noise, including our guest stars like my son, Gabe, and my dog. Turns out they were just as excited to talk to Scarlett as I was. All right, let's get into it. As an actor, you just get rejected all the time, but you build relationships with people. It's not a waste of time if you're making connections with people and learning and getting better. It's all time well spent. I'm Carly Zakin. And I'm Danielle Weisberg. Welcome to 9 to 5-ish with The Skin. We've run into so many questions over the years and had so many moments where we needed advice and we got it from women who'd been there. And that's what we're bringing you with this show. Each week, we're helping you get what you want out of your career by talking to the smartest leaders we know. Because we know your work life is a lot more than nine to five. All right, let's get into it. Hey, everyone, it's Danielle. Today, our guest is Scarlett Johansson. She doesn't need an introduction, but I'll read one. Anyway, she's an actor, and you've definitely seen a movie she's been in from her 2003 breakout role in Lost in Translation to her time in the Marvel Universe as the Black Widow. She was the highest paid female actor in the world in 2018 and 2019, according to Forbes. She's also starred in the second highest grossing film of all time, Avengers Endgame. We'll also note she's a five-time Golden Globe nominee and a two-time Academy Award nominee. And now she's launching her own skincare line, The Outset. Scarlett, welcome to the show. Thank you. That was quite an introduction. (laughs) I mean, you've had quite the career. Like that's... (laughs) Yeah. When you say it all like that, I feel like I'm a thousand years old. But doesn't that make it better that like you're not? Isn't it cool to hear how much you've accomplished? Um, That kind of an introduction is so, uh, it sounds like you're, like you're talking about another person, (laughs) but that's my stuff. That's my weird stuff. But I love that. (laughs) We're going to do a lightning round and then we're going to get into the weird stuff. So quick questions, quick answers. All right. First job. My first job was a KitchenAid voiceover when I was seven and a half. Most recent job on your resume? The most recent job is founder of The Outset. Do you have any hobbies or skills that we can't Google about you? Um, I'm a pretty good cook, actually, and I, I honed my skills over the COVID time. Is there like one dish or something you make that you feel like you're best at? I, I kind of perfect, I really like chicken thighs. They're just very satisfying and very versatile. And over the quarantine time, I tried a lot of different flavor profiles and recipes involving that part of the chicken. What is the weirdest headline you've read about yourself or like random thing you've heard about yourself? Um, there was a rumor that went around for a very long time that said that I had sex in an elevator. They probably still write those things about people, maybe, but I feel like when I was younger, it was more acceptable to write really nasty, slutty things about young actresses. And so that was a story that followed me for a long time. Um, But I always thought that was outrageous. And also, I always was like thinking to myself, that would be tough. The very short period. Very quick. I don't know if that's (laughs) the best thing. (laughs) The logistics of that seem so unappealing to me. 
not worth it. Yeah, I agree. I'm a person who's terrified of being caught doing something I'm not supposed to be doing. So that made the story even that much more absurd to me, if you know me personally. Um, What is the last show you've binge watched? I have been watching the like Vanderbilt era show, The Gilded Age. Yeah, I like that show. I haven't watched it yet. What's your favorite product from the outset? I would say, you know, we have five products right now and several in the pipeline. Some of my favorite products are coming out soon, but I would say probably the night cream. It's definitely my favorite night cream that I've ever used. It's thick, but it's not heavy. It soaks in, but you still have that residue the next day. It's just wonderful. I also feel like when I hear night cream, it like brings me back to my grandma, but in a good way, like of having great skin and this routine. Honestly, the system is based on my own skincare that I've done, you know, for a hundred years. And I think it really is in response to having these very complicated products and steps and stripping away and resurfacing and all of that stuff that I feel like became very popular, like as I was starting to care about yeah. my skin, you know, and um, my co-founding partner, Kate, is probably terrified of this word, but I was like, I just want something plain. <laughs> no, I think simple. There's there's so much out there now. It's hard to decide like what you use. And that brings me to, you know, we talked about when I read your intro, you've done a lot and not a lot of time. How did you decide to add entrepreneur to that? You know, I came to a place in my life where I felt like I had a point of view in this area you know, I've had sensitive, stressed skin and, you know, what worked well for me to keep my skin healthy was this like simple, consistent everyday routine. And I felt like it was a time where I was confident enough to try something new and be introduced to an industry that was a completely different industry than the one that I had been working in for so long. And part of this journey has been really about just learning learning about the beauty industry, learning about skin, learning about formulations. And I've had access to incredibly, you know, experienced and wise people in this industry who have been really encouraging the whole way through. Having a startup is crazy. Would have been much easier in many ways for me to license my name or work yeah. with another big brand. But I felt like I would keep maybe running into that same issue of not having it be completely true to myself and um, having to compromise my own standards in some way. Yeah, I was thinking of that. And I feel like we've seen celebrities do so many things that run the gamut. And a lot of the time, definitely not all the time, and there are huge exceptions to this, but you see a celebrity who's been huge in fashion or makeup or skincare license their name. And I was wondering for you, like, what was the driving force behind taking that much harder route? Like building a company, having a startup is really a crazy, insane journey. What did you, what got you to that point to not just have it be an idea, but something that you actually were going to make the jump and do? I went down a lot of avenues and tried to gather as much information as possible to see, you know, what opportunities were out there. That's what got me to making 
the decision of taking my own road. I had spent such a long time when I was younger working with brands and luxury brands and brands in this space and in color and fragrance and all of that stuff. And and honestly, felt very thankful for those jobs and had great collaborations. And then at, at some point, I would come to this kind of crossroads where I felt like I didn't want to be someone else's version of a blonde or some other person's beauty ideal, I guess. And so once I realized that I wanted to pursue this, you know, independently, I knew that I needed to find my partner. And that's when I met my partner, Kate Foster, and we just connected right away. We wanted to make sure, obviously, that we weren't just making a brand for two people. And so we felt like we had something to offer people with the outset that was missing in their routines, these kind of elevated essentials for your kind of everyday like beauty foundation. So this is obviously a new challenge for you, but I want to go back and talk about, you said, you know, your first job was at seven and it was a voiceover, but in the acting world. And you went to professional children's school growing up, like you were in that world from such an early age. What is it like to know what you want to do that young? That's a hard question to answer because I'm I'm not sure what the alternative is. I mean, of course, I see it in my own daughter. She'll be eight soon, but she has lots of dreams and that's great. I really was very sure of what I wanted to do from a very young age. I loved performing. You know, growing up in Manhattan and going to Lee Strasberg Institute and understanding from very early on different parts of that method and improvisation and all of that stuff. I entered into a very competitive industry from a very young age. And I think probably like other young professionals, you have this kind of drive that allows you to survive constant rejection. The way you push through it, you, like you couldn't do, do it without having the drive and passion for what you do. How long did it take you to get over or did you ever have like the fear of failure, fear of rejection? If you look at, okay, how many auditions am I going on versus like how many jobs am I booking? The ratio is like very, very imbalanced for a really long time you know, back then it was like you would get a copy of Backstage and you would see if there were open casting calls. You know, my mom would get it every week and then we'd circle the ones that seemed like they could be something. And then, you know, I had a a talent manager and she would send me out for stuff and you just get rejected all the time. But you, you build relationships with people like casting directors and producers when they see you auditioning. And People would think of you for stuff. You know, you did great on this. You were prepared. Like, we'll bring you in again for something. And I think it's it's important to keep that in mind in every industry that, like, it's not a waste of time if you're making connections with people and learning and getting better. It's all time well spent. And I understood that from a very young age. So it made the rejection not feel like a failure. And doing prep for this, that there was a quote that you, I'm paraphrasing, but it was like, you know, I made a career out of being a second choice and getting into the Marvel world that way. And I just thought in so many ways, that's such great advice 
to take the connection to see where it goes. And obviously it has brought immense success to you, but I think you just never know. And I felt like that was great advice to, to our listeners who are at so many times trying to figure out what is that right path. You never know. And I, you know, I have a production company in New York and we get a lot of rejections when we're looking to develop things, whether some it's not the right project for somebody or they're not available or they don't see a way in or whatever. And it's so important to nourish that connection and appreciate the time that people take to consider you and look at your work. And you know, that stuff is very meaningful and it's valuable later on. That never goes away. And I never, I never take that for granted. One of the things that I think is, is really cool about growing up in a business is you were on sets and working with people who were like masters of their domain at such a young age. One of the biggest skills that I feel like can make all the difference is knowing who to ask, knowing how to build kind of like a circle of mentors and not being afraid to ask for advice. Did you take advantage of that when you were growing up? And now, you know, looking at it from a business perspective, when you talk about networking, obviously in my mind, I'm like, that was probably the best place to start. It's interesting because the entertainment industry is a very tight-knit community. But what's funny about it is it's also very competitive. So there's a closeness that you build with people. And at some point, they may be taking a job opportunity <laughs> that you envision right. for yourself, you know. And so I think as much as you can, it's important to be as transparent with your peers as possible, we all like benefit when we understand things like equal pay or equal opportunity in the space. We all benefit when we have like an open communication with one another. So you have to kind of get out of that mindset of like every man for himself. Like that's valuable in some ways, but you also have to have a community that's nourished in a way. When you mention, you know, that things have changed. And that they're still changing and they're getting better in some ways. I think one aspect that you've talked about a lot is uh, how much sexism you've dealt with in your career. And a lot of that has been from the questions reporters have asked to how some directors have cast you. How did you decide to move on from that in a way? Like, how did you start to reclaim? your sense of self in, in the characters you are choosing and, and move on from that toxicity? So I was probably around 25 and it was in my mid twenties. And I really was fr very frustrated because I'd been pigeonholed in various ways, but certainly the media had a part of that. And I was kind of stuck in this role of being like the other woman or the ingenue or like the sex bomb. And it never was intentional, mm -hmm. but I then couldn't kind of get out of this corner. So first I had to like actively stop participating in that. I'm not going to take any more roles just to work. I had to have faith that I would be able to get a job if I didn't take those roles. Yeah. So in some weird ways, it's almost like a career transition. Like when you decide to do something else, you know, it's like, okay, well, I'm gonna, I guess I'll have to take a leap of faith and like, I'm going to work, you know, on something. And it was tough because I was getting rejected from jobs that I felt I, I had a lot to offer as an actor, but it would be like 
oh, she's too buxom or she's too blonde, she's too whatever. So I actually, I had an opportunity to do a play in New York, which was A View from the Bridge. And I'd wanted to do theater for my entire career, but I had this opportunity to do Arthur Miller, which I was pretty Mm -hmm. excited about. And I knew that it was going to be with Liev Schreiber. And I just thought, all right, you know, I'm going to commit to this thing. I've never tried. And I remember I was so nervous that everybody would want me to fail. And I remember Liev Schreiber saying to me, firstly, everyone who's bought a ticket paid a lot of money for their ticket. They had dinner before they came to the show. They are excited for a night of theater. Like they want to be transported by you. They want us to win. It was such a revelation for me. It was such a revelation. And that whole experience was so inspiring and it was so fresh and it was so risky every night, every show. It made me understand that I would wait for the riskier jobs and just go with things that were difficult and, and scary, or I would make them for myself. I love that, how you, you know, made the transition at that point to doing something that was totally different. And, you know, obviously then now when you think about action and franchises like you have with Black Widow and Avengers, it's, it's totally new. I mean, from when you look back at your early career. One of the things that I want to talk about is I think that one of the biggest parts of jobs and careers that is, is hard for anyone, but I think especially for women, is the idea of negotiating and getting comfortable talking about money and having enough of a network to kind of be able to understand where you are. You have this great success in Marvel and and working with Disney. And then, you know, you sue Disney for, for breach of contract. And giving some context, it was because Black Widow was released on streaming at the same time as in theaters. And this was happening, obviously, in, in the pandemic. You were missing out on, on box office profit. You guys settled the suit. But I am just so curious in reading that. That to me is like, you stood up for yourself in such a public way with a huge franchise. Did it feel hard? Like, was that scary? Because I think for a lot of people, we read about it and see a a woman standing up for what she feels is right and what she feels, you know, that she is owed and due. But I can't, seeing you from the outside, it, it feels like you have so much confidence that that was just easy. Um, was it? It would ebb and flow, you know, it was just such a weird time yeah. in general for everybody. Um, it was like, we we're all so isolated from one another. And I was also very, very pregnant at the time. If you've you know been pregnant before, you, you, you know, everything sort of clears and makes way for this one most important thing that you have to do. So like my mind was actually pretty, pretty clear at the time. And even though it was very surreal to say the very least, because I have such a wonderful partnership with my Marvel family for a very, very long time. I I basically worked with Marvel from 
you know, almost like the very beginning, right? We did Iron Man 2 together. So it was like after the success of Iron Man, I was, you know, joined to this family and we've ridden all kinds of waves together and have a, a lot of closeness between us and and also have had very successful relationship with our parent company, Disney, for ever. You know, I've made been making Disney, working with Disney since I was 12 in various ways. So it was very surreal. I never imagined that it would come to that mostly because I was so sure in my mind that yeah, I'm owed money. <laughs> you know, like I just, it was like, I, I wasn't uncertain of that. And so while I would then have moments where I was like such, so thrown was probably scary for a lot of people in the industry to like voice their support in a way. There were some people that came out and were wonderful, you know, um, about it. Jamie Lee Curtis was like, incredible and such a champion. But it what did feel lonely at times. And that was when the doubt would start to creep in. And then I'd keep coming back to, but this is right. I think it's so interesting, the point that you made about, I would never have connected you being pregnant with that, but I'm, I'm pregnant with my second right now. And we had someone on the show actually who said, and she's a lawyer and we were talking to her about advice around negotiation. And she said, you know, it's really hard. In her opinion, it was hard for women to negotiate when it's about themselves. But if you put it as you're negotiating for what your kids are going to have, or you're negotiating for them, it becomes a lot easier. I also knew that it was not just about myself. I was so lucky to have an incredible team around me that I have access to. It's very fortunate. I've worked as long as I have to build and also built a really strong team with that time. And, you know, other actors, other people in the industry don't have that, but they're still getting screwed. (laughs) And so I knew that I had to keep pushing forward with it because it would change the way that this is dealt with that nobody would have to deal with it in the way that I had to deal with it. And I felt I could withstand it. You know, I was like, I will work again. I've made relationships with people. I have fantastic relationships with creatives. Mm -hmm. You know, you can't buy those relationships. You get that from doing the work and showing up and being professional. And so I was like, okay, you know, this is, this is worth it. And definitely, as you're saying, I mean, in some ways that probably was like you're doing it for your <laughs> for your children's future, you know, um, except in this case, it was my co-stars. <laughs> yes. So we've got two quick questions to wrap up with. Um, we have a listener question from Anna. What's been the most surprising thing about starting your own skincare company so far? The most surprising thing about it, I think, has been how welcoming the industry was. I didn't anticipate that. I imagine in some other areas like fashion, maybe it's not that way, but in an industry where it's so much about like beauty secrets, it's actually quite transparent and welcoming and warm and inviting. And everyone's worked with, you know, everyone else in some capacity and people have a lot of respect for one another. It's not cutthroat at all. Not in the way that I thought it might be. That's really nice to hear. And I don't think it's necessarily expected. Last question. Who is someone else we should have on the show? 
Florence Pugh. Oh, I would love that. <laughs> yes. Well, we are going to follow up to, to use your help to get her on, but <laughs> I would love to talk to her. Um, Scarlett, congrats on the outset and everything else. And thank you so much for being on our show. Thank you guys so much. Thanks for listening to this episode of 9 to 5-ish with The Skim. A new episode will be in your feed again next Wednesday. In the meantime, check out our news podcast, Skim This. Every Thursday, we cover what you need to know each week in 30 minutes or less. And we've also got another podcast, Pop Cultured with The Skim, where each week we're covering the pop culture moment everyone's talking about. New episodes drop every Tuesday. 